John chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the politically incorrect Jesus. And if you haven't noticed lately in our society today, it is politically incorrect to claim Jesus, to talk about Jesus, even to invoke the blessings of Jesus upon our homes, upon our families, and even upon our nation. Now I'm talking about the real Jesus. I'm talking about the Jesus of the Bible. I'm not talking about this Jesus that many in the religious world seem to have created today, and I'm going to mention that in just a moment. Well, I'll go ahead and do it now. The hip religious crowd today has a different Jesus than the Jesus in the Bible. They have a modernized Jesus. They have a modernized version of the Son of God. They've got a watered down version of Jesus and a lot of folks have bought into it. They offer a Jesus who's tolerant of sin and just sort of laughs at sin and pats you on the back and tells you to go on your way. They have a Jesus that is not expectant of holiness. Listen, our Lord expects us to be holy. He said, be ye perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In the book of Matthew, Peter, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, be ye holy, for I am holy, is what God says. So our Lord expects us to be holy, and our world today, and many in the religious world want a Jesus that doesn't expect that. Many in the religious world have a Jesus who is politically and socially correct. He would accept a lot of the things that are perverted, and in complete contradiction to the Word of God. That's their Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. We have a jet-set Christianity today. I'm sure many of you have seen these ads. 
And it'll say something about Jesus, and then it'll say, he gets us, right? And they're trying to present a Jesus who's just sort of a good old guy, you know? He's just a buddy-buddy, and you can slap him on the back, and you can have a cool one with him if you want to, and all of those things. That's the Jesus that this world is promoting today. Listen to what the Apostle Paul had to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, and I'm going to tell you I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. He said, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste or as a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. I have problems thinking of Paul and fear, but there were certain fears in the life of Paul, and he feared for this church at Corinth that somebody would come along and preach another Jesus, and they'd say, boy, that sounds good to us. Folks, it's happening today. It's happening in the religious world today. Even in Paul's day, another gospel, another Jesus was being preached. Listen to him in Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. There's only one good news, right? But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We have many in our world today who have been deceived by a false interpretation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there's only one Jesus. There's only one Jesus, and he is not politically correct. He is not the socially correct Jesus that many are promoting today. God only had one son. Amen. We're familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Emphasis on only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 1.14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. You can look at John 1.18, John 3.18, Hebrews 11. I mean, there's just various verses that you can go to and be reminded God only had one son. And the Bible is a picture of Jesus from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. And you know, if you change one little thing about Jesus, you change the picture of Jesus. And he doesn't match up with the Jesus that is in the Bible. Doesn't even resemble the Jesus who came to this earth and willingly went to the cross for you and for me. What our nation and what our world want today is like I said a modern Jesus, a watered down Jesus, a trendy Jesus, a Jesus who's tolerant of sin and who expects absolutely no holiness from his people. Instead what we do need in America today folks is the Jesus of the word of God. The Jesus who condemns sin. He loves the sinner, but he condemns sin. All unrighteousness, the scripture says, is sin. And Jesus condemned sin. 
To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And Jesus condemns sin. We need a Jesus in America today who is the only way, the only truth and the only life, the only way to God. And Jesus said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And we need a Jesus in America today that we have served all of these years, that those who have gone before us in the faith have served, that the Bible preaches and teaches us the Jesus of heaven. So for the next few weeks, what I'm going to do all the way to Easter, I'm going to try to look at this Jesus and what he's done for us. But before I do that, I'm going to talk about the politically incorrect Jesus. In America today, many people, and some of them profess to be Christians, don't want to acknowledge the reality of God or confess Jesus Christ. This is sad. I just saw a 2022 Gallup poll, and it says the belief in God in America is at its lowest point. It's 81%. The lowest percentage of the citizens of this nation that have ever believed in God. Only 81% of the people. And it's sad because our founding fathers quite obviously believed in God. They said that man is endowed by his creator with certain inalienable rights. And so they believed in a God, in a God who created this whole thing. Now why do so few people want to acknowledge God today? I'm just fixing to get myself in real trouble right here, okay? And some of you may disagree with me, but I think in part, Part of it is due to our educational system. Amen. When you tell children that they came from nothing and they're going to nothing, life just doesn't have very much meaning for them. When you tell them they're the result of some cosmic explosion, some cosmic accident, life doesn't have much meaning for them. What do you expect them to believe when they're taught that? And you can't teach Jesus. You can't teach the creation in the schools, but you sure can teach that, hey, Johnny, you came from nothing and you're going to nothing. And we instruct them and they should respect their teachers and they should pay attention to their teachers. And we teach them to do that. And then those teachers are not allowed to present Jesus, but they are allowed to present the untruths of evolution. What do you expect children to grow up believing. I believe one of the reasons we have such violence and even gang violence in our world today is because again, life doesn't mean anything. I came from nowhere. There's no life after death. When I, if I die, when I die, I'm just going to feel nothing and I'm going to go out of existence. No thought of this is a living soul and when that body dies, that soul, if they've never accepted Jesus Christ, is going to hell. The moment that body dismisses that spirit from the body. I think another part of the problem, and I'm really going to get myself in trouble here, is what goes on at home. Amen. We need parents who are as godly at home as they pretend to be when they're at church. Amen. Okay? You say, preacher, you're meddling now. Well, good. You know, I was telling the Sunday school class and y'all pardon me for repeating myself. And Brother Gene, this isn't anywhere in the notes. Okay. <laughs> I was at this preaching this funeral service Friday. And for those that were in class, you can just not pay attention for a moment. And the rest of, of you can listen. But I was at this funeral service Friday. I was talking about how Sister LaVon just, now she, I mean, the moment she passed from this life, she began to experience all of the things she had looked forward to, all the things she had hoped for throughout her life. And I don't know about you, but that just excites me. 
It thrills me. And I looked out across the people I was speaking to and they were like this. <laughs> Sister Karen was in the back, had a smile on her face. I appreciate that. I know it was a serious time, but folks, it was a time of rejoicing for her. She was in the presence of the Lord. We're left here to deal with this world, this earth for right now. But she was in the presence of the Lord. And I, I made the comment. I think I made it to you, didn't I? I'm beginning to believe a lot of God's people don't get it. You know? And that's what I told the Sunday school class. Hey, this is for a short time. Eternity is a long time. It's forever. And we're going to be in the presence of the Lord and all of this that we worry about and fuss about and fret about, we're not going to have to worry about it anymore. And we're going to have, we sang the joy of the Lord. And Brother Wayne, some people were singing it this way, the joy of the Lord is my strength, you know. No, it's the joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. And we're going to have that joy of the Lord. We have it now and we're going to enjoy it for eternity. But we need parents to be godly at home. We need parents to put something, and I'm talking about the Word of God, into their children at home that the world can't take away from them. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently. How? Diligently to their children. Don't just put them out there and, well, Johnny, you can hear them if you want to. Teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand and thou, they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Do you get the idea of what he's saying? The word of God ought to be before us in our homes daily and before our children in our homes daily. Otherwise they're not going to get it. They're sure not going to get it at school. They're sure not going to get it out in the world. They're not going to get it at the movies. And they're not going to get it on television. So it's got to be in the home. From the day children are born, this world begins to working to conform them to its ideals. Here's what you need to be. Here's how you need to dress. Here's how you need to think. Here's how you need to look. And the world's way of thinking. And parents need today to build a wall of protection around their children that the world can't get through. And that's missing in a lot of, we just say, oh, sure, yeah, in the world. No, a lot of so-called Christian homes that's missing today. Yes, in America, it's politically incorrect to talk about Jesus and stand up for Jesus. But you know what? It's always been politically incorrect to stand up for Jesus, hasn't it? What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12? Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You don't have to go look for it. You just live for Jesus, Okay. You're witness for Jesus. It will come, I guarantee you. I promise you, if you will just take a stand on and in the word of God and take a stand for Jesus, it will come. We're going to see in this message that even in Bible days, Jesus caused quite a stir, didn't he? First of all, he was politically incorrect in Bible days. What we see in John 13 is the problems that the presence of Jesus created for Pilate. Now, if you understand the relationship or the attitude that Pilate had toward the Jews, they weren't his favorite, okay? <laughs> In fact, they were almost a constant problem for him. They were a nuisance to him. But in verse 4, Pilate says, Here, behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. And verse 12 says, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He had not done anything that was worthy of death. And so it just says that from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But that's not what the Jews wanted. 
What did they cry out? They cried out, crucify him. And then they said this, if you let him go. Now you think about being in Pilate's place. He's a Roman governor. And here's this crowd saying, if you let him go, you're not Caesar's friend. And if you make him a king, you're an enemy to Caesar. And so Pilate is put on the hot seat politically. And he found himself from his viewpoint in the middle of a political controversy. Now, if I give in to the Jews, I'm putting an innocent man to death. And maybe he had a little bit of a conscience that wouldn't let him do that, didn't want to do that. But then he says, if I don't, <laughs> I'm going to be charged with treason before Caesar. Now, what do I do? This is a political problem, right? That's what he thought. Pilate was at best wishy-washy, okay? At worst, he was self-centered and self-promoting. He wanted to be Pilate, the Roman governor. You know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of a lot of politicians today. This is not a political message, but he reminds me of a lot of politicians today. They're afraid to take a real stand for biblical morals, for biblical principles, and for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know why? I might not get reelected if I take that stand. And getting reelected to office is more important to them than standing for the Word of God. But I tell you what, it's a problem with some preachers today too. I don't think I'll preach that message because the folks might not like it. I've explained to churches before, you know why? And I've been guilty of it, folks. You know why some messages don't get preached? It's called job security. If I preach the wrong thing to the wrong people at the wrong time, all they have to do is have a vote on a Sunday night or even after services on Sunday morning and I don't have a job anymore. And some preachers are more worried about that than they are about standing up and preaching the Word of God. We live in a time when some who call themselves our leaders are tolerant of the false gods of our enemies. They know they're false gods. They're unwilling to take a stand. Listen, I don't believe, from the depths of my heart, I don't believe you can truly be a politician. Now, there's a difference between being someone who serves his country. And see, we call these folks, I'm waxing political, I don't mean to. We call these folks leaders. You know what they are? They're servants of the people, really. And yet, I don't believe you can be a true politician in the truest sense of the word politician and be a Christian today. I believe politics requires too much sacrifice of, you, of your morals and of your senses. This nation which was created to be governed by the people and for the people and of the people has turned into a politician's paradise for those who just simply want to keep working and don't want to stand for anything and when they try to take a stand, it's going to be a wishy-washy stand like Pilate because they want to be reelected. It's just as politically incorrect to talk about Jesus today as it was in Pilate's day. You know, we've been through this, not we, but as a nation we've been through this. Now some folks don't even want you to say Merry Christmas. Amen. You know, that hints of Jesus. That calls Jesus Christ. Well, that's who he was. Amen. And it's okay to say Merry Christmas. Some, as I said earlier, protest prayers to God in the name of Jesus just to ask God to bless our nation. Listen, I've quit asking God to bless America. I've asked God now to have mercy on America. 
Because I believe we've come to the point as a nation that we'd better start praying for God's mercy instead of asking for his blessings. Psalm 917 says this, and as a nation, we're on a very dangerous path, but Psalm 917 says this, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Okay? Some want oaths in courts now taken, you know, used to, you'd put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Now that they don't even include, so help you God. And some want their hands put on other holy books instead of the Bible. It is politically incorrect to stand for Jesus today. And it's sad that the anti-God and the anti-Christ crowd promoted and led by the media, and I believe Hollywood, y'all know I'm not a friend of Hollywood, seem to hold sway. Folks, we're a nation of fools. We're a nation of fools. Psalm 14, 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Amen. Matthew 27, verse 25. What did the people proclaim when they wanted Jesus put to death? Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. What's happened to the Jews? What have they been through all of these years? They didn't know what they were asking when they said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. But I think there's some folks in our world today, and some of them call themselves Christian, that have almost, oh, they wouldn't condemn Jesus. They wouldn't cry out for the crucifixion of Jesus. They just want to ignore him in everyday living. They don't want to raise families that are dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're doing the same thing. They're letting his blood be upon the hands of their children. Not only is it politically incorrect, but you know what? The teachings of Jesus are religiously incorrect. What do you mean religiously incorrect? Well, who was it that wanted Jesus put to death? Go back to verses 6 and 7 here in chapter 19. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. You know who that is? That's the religious leaders. They didn't want to believe in Jesus. They didn't want to accept him as the Messiah. They didn't want to trust him as the Messiah. And so they want him put to death. And it's the chief priest who said, we don't have any king but Caesar. You know, in a way they were right. Here's what I mean. All the way up to the sixth chapter, the eighth chapter of 1 Samuel, Israel lived under a theocracy. God was their king. And he led them. He gave them prophets and priests to, to direct them. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you know what they said? They said, we want a king like all the nations. You know, I've forgotten which song it is. One of our songs, that, one of our political songs are, are, that we sing, not political, uh, patriotic. Some of the patriotics that we sing, I've forgotten which song it is, but it sings about great God, our king. America has a king, folks. And his name is God. His name is Jesus. We just don't acknowledge him. But in many ways, we're like Israel. They said, we don't have any king except for Caesar. John 18, 14. It says Caiaphas. Who was Caiaphas? He was the high priest. It was Caiaphas who gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for all the people. See, they had such hatred 
of Jesus. And they had such jealousy of Jesus that they delivered him. And even the pagan Pilate, I mean, he was a Roman, he was a pagan. The pagan Pilate could realize it was their jealousy that caused them to deliver Jesus to be crucified. Matthew 27, verses 17 and 18, or actually verse 18 says, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. If you believe that this modern religious world today is in tune with Jesus, I've got some desert land in the Florida Everglades I want to sell you right after services, okay? It is not. Things that are going on that are touted and praised over the internet and Facebook and YouTube and all of these things. It's not of God, folks. It's not of God. It's of the world. It's of the flesh. It's of the devil. Well, why was Jesus incorrect with the religious crowd? Because his teaching and his life condemned their hypocrisy. Or you just turn over to Matthew chapter 23 and we don't have time to read all of the verses there in Matthew chapter 23, but it's a condemnation of their hypocritical lifestyle. He didn't, verses one through three, he didn't encourage the people to disobedience to God. He didn't encourage the people to disobedience to the law. But what he did say is, look, don't be like the scribes and Pharisees. They were the hypocrites. They were the religious uppity-ups. Verse 5, he said, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. Dare I suggest that I wonder how many, not just here, but anywhere where church is going on, church service is going on, how many people are in church today to be seen of men? Because people expect it. Here's the thing that gets me. I just might as well. <laughs> what did I say about uh, job security? So many people today, I think, because I'm one of them, was one of them, show up at church on a Sunday morning. You know why? It's what I've always done on Sunday. I don't know why I'm there, but since I've always gone to church on Sunday, I don't know what I'm supposed to do there, but I'm supposed to listen to the preacher or look like I'm listening to the preacher, and so I'll show up at church on Sunday morning and, and, and we'll see what happens, and people will see me there. You say, you're a meddling preacher. I'm still doing it. Amen. Verses 6 and 7, they love the uppermost rooms at feasts. The chief seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called rabbi. But verse 13, listen to what Jesus said. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. He says, not only do you close up heaven to yourselves, whether by your life or by your witness, by your word, by your testimony, whatever, you're closing it to other people. And do you know what happens when a child of God is a hypocrite, when they're showing up at church? In fact, I talked to a man one time. I'm not going to tell you the relationship. He was a good friend. And he would ask me about church, but he never went to church. He said, here's why. Now, he worked in law enforcement. He said, I'm out on Friday and Saturday nights and I see what people are doing. And then I show up in church on Sunday morning and sit toward the back and I see those same people sitting up toward the front and they're praising God and they're acting all holy and everything. He said, that's why I don't want any part of church. You know what some of God's people are doing? They're shutting up the kingdom of heaven to other people. That's why people are saying there's too many hypocrites in church because there's too many hypocrites in church. The Sermon on the Mount, if you'll allow me to use this word, is an upgrading of everything these folks taught. Jesus said, you've heard it said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, I tell you, if you look on a woman to lust after her, 
you've committed adultery in your heart. It said, thou shalt not kill if you're angry at a brother without a cause. You're guilty of murder. It's not the act. It's what's in the heart. And that's what Jesus was telling them in the Sermon on the Mount. Today it's no longer what does God's Word say. It's, well, what's my interpretation of what God's Word says? And do you know you can take Scripture and you can misinterpret it and you can justify just about anything you want to do. Amen. The Jesus of the Bible would be considered religiously incorrect today. Because again, there are people who say he's too harsh on sin. You know, we're just all sinners. If, if we're all sinners, he ought to be a little relaxed on that thing of sin. Well, he'll forgive your sin. But he's still harsh on sin. They say he's too narrow in his doctrine. Jesus is be considered incorrect in the matter of salvation. What did Jesus say? I quoted part of John chapter 14 a moment ago, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. But the world says what? The religious world even says, well, there's many ways to God. And you can just sort of choose your way. The religious world says, well, you've got to have faith, but you've got to add baptism. They say you've got to have faith, but you've got to add church membership. You've got to have faith, but you've got to add good works. No, Jesus said he is the only way. And in fact, he said, if you don't trust him, John chapter 3, verse 18, he said, if you don't trust me, it's not that you're going to be condemned. You're condemned already. See, here's what we've got to get as God's people. That lost person that I know, oh, they're not going to one day be condemned to hell. They're already on the way. They're condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus would be considered by most of the religious world to be incorrect in the matter of security. I don't know of a whole lot of folks who call themselves Christian, who believe in what we know the Word of God to teach, the total security of the believer. Most of the religious world says retaining your salvation is in part up to you. That you can get so far away from God that you'll lose your salvation. That is wrong. Now Peter says you can get so far away from God you'll forget you were ever saved. But he didn't say you'd lose your salvation. John chapter 6 verse 38 Jesus said, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Do you realize if one saved person can lose their salvation, Jesus was not telling the truth in that verse. And if Jesus was not telling the truth in that verse, Jesus was not the Son of God, yea, God in the flesh. And so we don't have a Savior and we're all doomed anyway, right? John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Shall not come into what? Condemnation. What does eternal mean anyway? Well, it's eternal up to the point you sin so bad that you know. I actually had a young man tell me one time, he said, I believe you can be saved and go to hell. Boy, that threw me for a loop. <laughs> Even when I say it, I, today I have to reset my brain for a minute, you know? Well, if you're saved and you can go to hell, what are you saved from anyway, right? Oh, he thought you could lose your salvation. That's what he thought. In John 19, verse 30, when Jesus said, it is finished, tetelestai, paid in full, 
When he said, it is finished, what did he mean? He said, it's enough. Everything has been done that needs to be done. There's nothing else lacking. You know, when my wife gives me a chore, and I come and tell her it's done, it better be done. <laughs> right, brother? <laughs> Jesus said it's finished. It's done. Folks, we are saved by grace through faith in him, and he keeps us saved. You know, if it was up to me to keep myself saved, boy, I'd have been lost a long time ago. But it's not up to me. Thank God it's not up to me. It's up to Jesus Christ. And he said, you're in my hands and my hands are in the Father's hands. <laughs> and he said, no man's able to pluck, them, pluck you out of my hands or out of the Father's hand. And Jesus would be considered by the religious world to be incorrect in the matter of baptism. Because the world wants to make, the religious world wants to make baptism a part of salvation. But you cannot find where Jesus baptized anybody. John chapter 4, verse 2 says Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Now, don't you think it's kind of strange that the one, if baptism saves, that the one who came to seek and to save that which is lost didn't baptize anybody? Baptism has no part in salvation. Baptism identifies us. Jesus was baptized. He set the example for us in how to be obedient to God. Baptism declares Jesus openly and declares him unashamedly. Baptism declares that we are associated with him, that we are aligned with him, that we're his children, that we're God's children. Jesus would be considered incorrect in the matter of New Testament churches. He began the first church. He began his true churches. He called it out. He organized it during his earthly ministry. Now the world wants to say that the church began when? On the day of Pentecost. Well, listen, folks, that's about three and a half years too late. Amen. And then there's someone say Baptist began in the 1500s in England. Well, that's 1500 years too late. Okay? We trace our lineage, our history back to that church that Jesus Christ began. And that's the only way to have a true scriptural New Testament church. And Jesus gave his churches the Great Commission. He didn't give it to individuals. The world says the commission's for believers and, you know, you can just go. I remember, I know this is dating myself, but I remember the days when Pat Boone was baptizing people in his swimming pool. Well, Pat Boone didn't have the authority to baptize anybody, not even his dog. Only the Lord's churches have that authority and it is for all believers to witness, but the authority to baptize is with this church and every scriptural New Testament church. And Jesus said, the church is important. How do I know that? Because he gave himself for his church. That's what the scripture says. Acts chapter 20. Jesus gave himself for his churches. And you know what the world says today? Well, man, I want Jesus. Eh, but the church, I can take it or leave it. It really doesn't matter to me. Because of his teachings and because of his life and because of his doctrine, Jesus was and is considered in our world both politically and religiously incorrect. But I'm going to close with this. There's one place that Jesus is always correct. Jesus is always correct with the Father. Amen. We read in John chapter 19, verse 11, you know, Pilate said, 
Don't you realize I have the authority of life and death over you? I can have you crucified. I can let you go. And Jesus said, you couldn't have any power at all against me except it were given you from above. The only reason Pilate had that authority is because God had given it to him. Jesus knew why he came into this world and Jesus willingly went to the cross and stretched out his arms and he died for us there on the cross. He was buried, he rose again and eventually ascended back into heaven and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ are God's approval on his sacrifice and on all that he did. Jesus didn't fight. He didn't curse those who were trying to crucify him. The scripture says, as a lamb before her shearers. And what do we see here in John 19 when he's before Pilate? He's the same. He's just like a lamb. Now we've lived close to some folks that had sheep and we got to watch those sheep and sometimes they would be sheared. And you know, they didn't fight. They didn't struggle. They just allowed themselves to be sheared. Jesus did everything that he was supposed to do and he did it just the way he was supposed to do it. That's why at his baptism, God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That's why on the Mount of Transfiguration, God said, this is my son, hear ye him. Jesus pleased the Father in everything. And Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for mankind's sin. You know, if we stand for Jesus like we should. You know, I've seen people stand for being Baptist. Well, I'm, I'm proud I am what I am and I will not be ashamed to be a Baptist. Amen. But there's something else I'm more thankful for and that's being a child of God. Amen. If we'll stand for Jesus the way we should, the operative word there is should, okay? <laughs> if we'll stand for him as we should, we're not going to be thought politically correct. Yeah, I made a little joke. We're sitting up here. And if, I don't know if you noticed or not. The choir was sort of balanced over this way. I, you know, I don't know why we did it, but we're just sort of leaning over this way. And I looked at it from this side, but then I got up here and looked at it for this side. And I said, oh, we're all leaning to the right. But we need to stand for Jesus. And we won't be considered politically correct. And we will not be appreciated, folks. If we stand for his truth and we stand for him, the world's not going to consider us to be religiously correct either. Oh, you old Baptist, if I believed what you believed about security of the believer, I'd just get saved and live like I wouldn't live after. No, you wouldn't. Not if you were truly saved. Not if you were truly saved. You wouldn't live like you wouldn't live. You would want to live according to the Word of God. You would want to elevate and lift up and glorify God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we'll stand for Him... And we'll share him with others, folks. We can be correct with God. We can hear. You know, I'm looking forward. One of these days, I want to, I've, I've shared with you before. Here's what I want to hear at the judgment seat of Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. I'm not worried about being ruler over many. I just want to hear the Lord say, well done. You've been faithful. That controls my preaching, that controls my teaching, and that controls my leadership of this church. I want us to be faithful to God and true in everything that we do. That's the only way to be truly right. Oh, we can sacrifice a few things and be right with the world, and we could fill this building if we wanted to. But I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. 
I shared with the Sunday school class, I know I'm repeating myself again, we talk about church growth, we think immediately of numbers and people, but when the church gets grown, spiritually mature, then we'll start seeing people added to the church by faith in Jesus Christ, and coming for baptism to declare him publicly to all men. Jesus is politically incorrect, and you know what? I am too. And Jesus was religiously correct, and I am too. I hope that's the desire of your heart. I want to be so faithful to God and so true to his word that the world will look at me and say, politically, religiously, no, we can't accept you. That's fine, because I want to be correct with God.